0: Let's take a second and pray. Lord, you are almighty God. You are the creator, the author of all things. You are the one who knows our name. You are the one who knows exactly where we are in this very moment. And Lord, we want to just meet you here in the space that we're at. And Lord, we just pray that you capture our heart, that you speak to us through your living word and that you transform our lives from that, God. We Come before you with great anticipation of how you want to speak to us today through again your living words, your powerful words, your life giving words. And so, Lord, we come to do that today and we thank you in faith in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Last week, uh, Pastor John shared with us about Jesus' call to be disciples who make disciples. And uh, if you think about it, this is God's perfect plan. It is so brilliant. In fact, if, if, if you knew this, that if just one of us in this room, just one, were over this next year to find one person and to share Jesus with them and help introduce them to Jesus and then spend intentional time with them to help them grow in faith and understand who God is and have the confidence then to share their faith with one person over the next year, and if that person then would be able to invest in that life, and so that that person would share faith with just one person, one by one, disciples making disciples, did you know that in just 34 years, every single man, woman, and child on earth could know Jesus Christ and be deeply connected to him? And you know what? In many ways, that's kind of the way that this small group of disciples, way back when, became millions of followers of Jesus today. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I want to kind of think about what has the potential to kind of derail this whole process. And that's this question. What is a disciple? (laughs) Because here's the deal. If what we're duplicating isn't true discipleship. If the original pattern is wrong, then all the duplicates, you know, they get a little wonky. They don't look like the original. You see, in in Jesus' day, discipleship was not new. It wasn't a new concept. It it came about after the destruction of the, the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70, and after that, the synagogue became the central place of worship for the Jews. And these synagogues were led by rabbis, and rabbis were people who were experts in the Jewish law, and they could be able to... To read it, understand it, and explain it, and apply it to others. And so if a person became really adept at the law, what they would do is they'd find themselves a rabbi, and they'd ask to be the rabbi's disciple. And from that moment on, the disciple would, would attach their life to the rabbi, and they begin to learn and observe and imitate the rabbi and become like the rabbi in their thoughts and in their actions and in their character like they were little rabbis with training wheels. Now, although Jesus, he chose his own disciples, he followed this same process of development. You see, he spent time with them. He interacted. He trained them. And they would watch him in the way that Jesus would interact with God and with others. And they began to assimilate his character. And then Jesus' disciples found other people and made disciples of them to follow Jesus in the same ways in community, under the guidance of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit, connecting life to life with Jesus. And this is how people grew and transformed their lives. Now today, you know, we all know that we kind of live in a in a culture of quick fixes. And so we have to be really careful that we don't short circuit this whole process in order to microwave faith, you know, where we just make it something that really isn't a full meal. You know, see, these days, discipleship often in in people's minds is sort of like a second level of Christianity, kind of like a a next step. And to be a Christian then is just sort of just, you you believe the right things about Jesus, you pray a prayer, and then you go to heaven, right? Well, you know, this isn't necessarily wrong. It's not incorrect. It's just entirely incomplete, (laughs) You see, because salvation isn't just about believing things. And it's not just about having our sins forgiven and going to heaven. Our profession of faith is just the doorway to begin into what Jesus really wants and desires for us. And that's for us to become like him, to have new life in him. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. It's becoming like Jesus through a new life in him because religious belief in itself it just doesn't have the power to change us but life in jesus can and will change us we're going to look at a key passage that the apostle paul wrote to disciples in the city of Colossae. it's a key passage that helps them to understand how they can become like jesus and so if you've got a bible you can turn it to colossians chapter three And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the the verses will be up here on the screen and you can follow along. Uh, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you actually don't own a Bible, you grab one from the lobby, you can take it home with you and bring it here. And also I want to encourage you, why don't you go ahead and take your notes out and we're going to start with our first point, which is this. Our first point is to pursue life in Jesus. Pursue life in Jesus. You see, when we come to true, authentic faith in Christ and trust in him for salvation, something remarkable happens, more than we appreciate. You see, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we become a whole new creation, a different species of human race. We receive an entirely new life. And that's what Paul's referring to here in Colossians 3. <clears throat> so we read Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That's no mistake here. I don't think that when what Paul refers to is as, as here, he's giving this imagery of the resurrection because what he's talking about it, it reflects the spirituality of what happens to someone when they give their life to Christ. And that's that the old life of sin and separation from God dies and is buried. And a new whole life is resurrected in Christ. You see, a disciple, as disciples, we share a common life with God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, that the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 2 Peter 1, 4 says that we become partakers of the divine nature. You see, Jesus doesn't just give us life. Jesus is our life. And eternal life isn't a destination. We think, oh, we get eternal life. We go into heaven. It's not heaven. You see, John 17, 3 tells us that Jesus is eternal life. And our life becomes eternal because it's connected with and lives in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, we look forward to heaven. Heaven is going to be amazing to be in the very presence of God. But even more looking forward to the place, we look forward to the one who reigns there in heaven. Discipleship is being surrendered to, centered in, and connected with the life of Jesus Christ. Earlier in the book of Colossians, Paul said this in chapter 2, 6, and 7. He says, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You ever seen like, you, know, you ever dug up a, a, tr- a tree or a plant and you see those roots that just stretch out and grab hold of the soil? Jesus wants a connecting relationship with us, a life-giving transformational relationship that's like that. See, a disciple, a disciple lives an exchanged life. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave his life for me. Do you know that... Jesus' offer of discipleship is this. If anyone would be my disciple, they must take up their cross and follow me. See, there's no sharing of life without the laying down of life. And it's only through sacrifice that we're able to share life. Jesus poured out his entire life with us, forgiving our sin, infusing his life into us. And his sacrifice. It reveals the deepest reality about God that true life, true love is sacrificial. We enter into life with God by dying to self. True life is a matter of exchange my life for yours, your life for mine. It's the sacrificial exchange. In that that community, that we experience community with God and with one another. See, our life with Christ is a shared life. (laughs) We live in and through Jesus, and we give our life to one another. And this is what we so beautifully see when you look at what's happening in the second chapter of Acts. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but vampire bats do this well. It's true. See, vampire bats will regurgitate blood to share with an unlucky or sick roost mate who can't find a meal, sometimes even to their full demise. You see, they take care of one another because it really sucks when you can't eat. (laughs) So let's move on. (laughs) Next, we depend on the Holy Spirit To overcome sin. We depend on the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. Now, in Christ, our sin is forgiven in Jesus. We are no longer under sin's penalty. And yet we still live in a world that's saturated all around us with sin, right? And sin's power can be really strong. And our flesh tends to be pretty weak. And that's why we must continually put to death Sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Colossians 3, 5 to 9. He encourages us. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. This passage helps us understand the importance of getting rid of our old nature our old life see we're no longer slaves to sin but sin's kind of like a deposed dictator <laughs> no longer in power who can rule over us no longer can condemn us but sure likes to try to distract and devastate us <laughs> and it's important that we avoid temptation and that we deal with sin in our lives sin dies when we don't feed it right right <laughs> And we can't and must not feed anger and lust and greed. And instead, we need to be filled up instead with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When we did the Galatians series, this verse became just like spotlighted to me. I love this verse. Let the Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, when we purposely walk in the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our life, control it, we experience victory over sin. Now, many of you, you may remember the song came out a few years back called Jesus Take the Wheel by Carrie Underwood. You remember that? (laughs) So right now, my daughter Brooke, she's learning how to drive. And so I find myself in situations where I am letting her take the wheel of control of our car. Now, as a person that struggles with control issues, this is somewhat challenging for me, to say the least. <laughs> but that's the picture here, you see, is allowing the Holy Spirit to take the wheel of our life and drive us on the path toward transformation. We see, in our own flesh, in our own ability, apart from God, we draw on our own resources and we think and we act and relate for our own gl- glory and in our own power. And the result is the things that we just read a moment ago, a whole tangled web of hurt and regret. But when we give the Holy Spirit control, he distributes God's grace to us. The Spirit is a conduit of God's grace to our life that moves and directs our hearts towards God's will and God's glory. And so when we walk in the Spirit, you know, it's not just sort of this concept of let go and let God. We hear that, right? But see, walking in the Spirit's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's inviting the Spirit to fill us, to lead us. And then we go with the Spirit, move forward with Him. And so when we read our Bible, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it says that the Holy Spirit helps us when we pray. The Holy Spirit helps us understand God's Word. The Holy Spirit gives us words when we share Our faith with others brings comfort when we're hurting, counsels us when we're confused, and the Holy Spirit gives us victory over temptation. And honestly, as I was studying for this message this last week, this thought dawned on me you know what? I really don't invite the Holy Spirit to help me as much as I could. Look at all these things that He does. I mean, how about you? I mean, honestly, if I'm really honest, I kind of treat the Holy Spirit like the Maytag repairman. I mean, I know he's there, but I never call on him. Walking in the Spirit, though, makes sin so much less attractive. So much less attractive. It's like tossing sin out like an old, worn-out overcoat. And we clothe ourselves with new garments of grace, which is our next point, to find contentment in Christ. Find contentment in Christ, the idea of clothing ourselves with the old nature, taking off our old nature, putting on the new life in Christ. Now, finding our contentment in Christ is so important because you know what it does? It lays the axe to the roots of sin, which are covetousness, dissatisfaction, and greed, which are the opposites of contentment. A contented life is a life of worship and gratitude. It is God-focused and finds its sufficiency in Christ. We worship God when we obey him, when we do what pleases him, and when we're pleased with what he does. We find our contentment in Christ when we put on and live in this new nature, this new life that he's given us. So Paul tells us in Colossians three ten to 14, he says this, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him in this new life. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy. And kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. And remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in harmony. Now, we can look at this list and we say to ourselves, Oh, there's the list. It's time to strap on my what would Jesus do bracelet and go out and start acting like Jesus. Let's just be nice, like Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Let's just act like Jesus. We can't miss what Paul said here in the very beginning of this passage. Verse 10 Put on your new nature and be renewed. That's the starting point. That's what causes true transformation. You see, I don't know about you, but I'm just not that great at acting like Jesus. I mean, I can pull it off for a little while, honestly. You know, I can try my best. I, I, I'll do my best. I just try to be nice and be a good person, be a good boy. <laughs> but honestly, when times come that are trying and trials and where I, I'm pressed and overwhelmed, when I'm squeezed, what comes out of me is not so Jesus-like. You see, instead of just trying to obey... We need to find a way to become a person who does easily and routinely what Jesus would do if he were living his life as us. And that only comes through a process of inner transformation. A transformation that involves our whole being, our heart, our mind, our strength, our body, and our relationships. That's how we worship God with all of our whole being. So let's start and begin with the heart. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. See, if we're aiming for life change. We really need to shoot for the heart because the heart is the center. It's the core of who we are. Good and evil come from the heart because the heart is the center of determination. It's the decision maker and it's the ...determinator and and the director of our actions. The will or heart is where life change must start. So I want to share with you a few things that actually I learned from the writings of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard contends that an important part of our spiritual transformation, you see... ...is the maturing of our heart or will in Christ. See, Dallas refers to these different stages of maturity of our will. And the first stage he calls the impulsive will... And it's what you would imagine. It's impulsive. It sees and is directed by things that are attractive and desired. We see it, we want it. It's like the will of a young child. Or the brat Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. You remember her? You know, she saw the golden goose and she wanted it. So what did she say to her father? Oh, I want it now, Daddy. I want it now. <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of a bad egg in all of us, right? We recognize this. And then Dallas says that there is the reflective will. And again, this is a picture of a will that can reflect on a bigger picture and kind of see the overall picture of, and choose things that are good for us in the long run, you know, rather than just what's right in front of us. But even our reflective will, sometimes we measure, you know, what's good, what's bad, and we know it's not good for us, but we end up making the wrong choice anyway. But see, when we bring our will... And we submit it to the life of Christ. And we're instructed by God's word through the Holy Spirit. Surrounded by the community of other believers in faith. Well, transformation begins to take hold in our life. Paul tells us this in Colossians 3.15. He says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart's For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So what's peace? I mean, really, what is peace? It's a lack of conflict, right? A lack of attack, a lack of resistance. It's unity, harmony, and flowers. The peace of Christ comes from a lack of conflict or resistance of our will against Christ's will. Peace comes from Christ's rule in us. And the further that we graft ourselves into this connection, you see, Dallas says that our will can mature to what he calls an embodied will. An embodied will is where Christ's will has sunk deep into our body so deeply that we automatically do Christ's will. And that's how our body works, right? I mean, our whole body it, it, it runs our life from choices that we formed from our will that are positioned in our body. And the more we train our body to rely and our will to rely on the life of Christ within us, you see, then Christ's will becomes embodied in us, and that's what comes out of us are the words and deeds of Jesus, and that leads us to our mind. Let the word of Christ shape your mind. The word of Christ is the revelation that Jesus brought to us, the Bible, God's living word. Romans 12:2 says, "Be transformed by the renewing of your mind." God's word transforms our mind, our thoughts, which therefore transforms our actions. Listen to what he says in Colossians 3:16. Let the message about Christ, the word of Christ, in all its riches, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. You see, we really need to fill our mind with God's word like we fill a bucket full of holes. You know, we just can to keep filling it because it leaks. Filling our mind with God's word reminds us of what is good and honorable and pure praiseworthy. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we would be equipped for every good work. God breathed, the word is. The word is God's breath. It's life that gives life. And just as God breathed into the first man god's word breathes life into our spirit jesus said this in john 6:63 6, jesus said it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing the words which i have spoken to you are spirit and life see jesus words are linked to the spirit and this isn't the only place in scripture where it links the holy spirit And the words of the Bible. Ephesians 6.17 says that the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. Ephesians 5.18, it connects that being filled with the Spirit with this passage of letting the message of Christ richly fill your lives. And just as breath, right, is necessary for our physical bodies, in the same way the Holy Spirit infuses life into us through the Word of God. And so when we come to the Bible, you see, we're just not going there to learn, to read information, to get more information, but to connect our spirit with the spirit of God and to receive spiritual life. The life that refreshes us and enlivens us, feeds us, and causes us to grow. Jesus said this in John fifteen seven, Great passage, John 15. But if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This is what brings glory to my Father. Jesus isn't saying, now go read your Bible. (laughs) He's saying, remain in me. Allow my words to abide and remain in you. Abide and remaining in God's word. It's connecting ourselves to it. Memorizing it meditating upon it so it becomes part of us, connecting spirit to spirit, directing our mind and our behavior. One of the ways that we connect spirit to spirit with God is what? It's through prayer. And so prayer is such an important part of reading our Bible. You know, as as we're reading our Bible, say, and we come across the passage, the Lord is my shepherd, then we might respond, Lord, you are my shepherd. Guide, lead, direct my path. Show me where to go, interacting spirit to spirit through the word, praying, using the Bible as our source of prayer. You know, And we could confess, we could commit, we could praise, we could worship God as we're interacting with the spirit in the word. And this is what brings intimacy in our time of reading God's word. It's this life-giving connection with Jesus being nourished through the Holy Spirit, through the word. Which brings us next to our bodies. Let the name of Christ, name of Christ, determine your actions. Let the name of Christ determine your actions. See, actions involve the movement of our body. That's how we act. Action is physical. And the importance of spiritual transformation of our bodies is often we don't even think about that. We don't consider that really to be part of it, but it's a part that we really can't ignore. Right? I mean, didn't we just say a moment ago that our flesh tends to be weak and most susceptible to sin? Our bodily appetites, they really want to devour our heart and our mind and take control of us and lead us down a path of ruin. Romans 3.14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. You see, we're, we're even here encouraged to rely on the life of Christ within us to meet the spiritual needs of our body. We need to practice the life of Jesus in us in our bodies so that those practices become the normal response for everyday life. And this is you know really done best through spiritual disciplines. I know we don't like the word discipline necessarily but think about it Olympic training. it requires great discipline in order to to increase the odds of victory. Usain Bolt, right? The fastest human in the world. He did not become that by sitting in a park. Spiritual disciplines can help train us for spiritual victory. Now, there are two types of different spiritual disciplines. One is disciplines of abstinence, where we abstain or withdraw from things in order to deepen our need and longing for God and our dependence upon God. And then there are also many different spiritual disciplines of engagement, which practices that help engage our heart and soul with God's sustaining grace. And you see how they work together, where we replace the bad with the goodness of Christ's presence. And so let me give you an example. Say that you want to become a person that uh, joyfully blesses others, even when we're wronged. Sounds like a really good thing, not always easy to do, right? Let me give you another example. Say we're driving down to Roseville in our car, and suddenly someone cuts us off rudely, almost drives us off the road. I want you to picture what your response would be. (laughs) We need to train ourselves to have a more godly response, right? Especially if you have a Twin Cities bumper sticker on the back of your car. (laughs) That'd be good. (laughs) So this can involve spiritual disciplines of abstinence, like Spending time alone with God in silence, in solitude, so that we learn in our body to release control of outcomes. It might also involve something like fasting, where we learn to depend on God's provision. And then we could also add spiritual disciplines of engagement, like physical acts of service, or worship, or meditating on God's word out loud, so our mouth and our ears can be filled. with the presence of christ and you see over time just like any training right is not this the way it works that what feels unnatural and difficult in the beginning suddenly becomes more natural and automatic as we engage with the holy spirit in these disciplines of grace the next time we're faced with a situation like this our body is conditioned for a whole different christ-like response that is grace in action Colossians 17a says, in whatever you do, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus Christ. Now, has this ever seemed completely unattainable to you? I mean, it has to me. Yet, as we engage in spiritual disciplines and allow Jesus to work in our body, can you see a window of hope maybe that's been opened up here? I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but when Jesus faced incredibly difficult situations with people or hardship or big decisions, obstacles. He spent intentional time in solitude with the father on his knees in focused prayer to draw spiritual strength. Now, yes, Jesus was God, but he was also man and primarily in his body. And Jesus submitted his body to fasting, to service, to solitude, to abstinence in order to spiritually train his body so that it would align with the Father's will. And last, let the joy of Christ fill your soul. Let the joy of Christ fill your soul. I don't know that I have a whole much more to say about this point other than the soul is a sum total of who we are. As we've talked about, our heart, our mind, our body, our relationships, this is our entire self our soul and as together as the body of Christ as we together become more and more like him that brings us incredible joy and we can be grateful for that colossians 3:17b says giving thanks to him through god the father and we have so much so so much to be grateful for you know if you are a disciple of jesus It is in your DNA to become like him. His spirit is inside you. His life pulses through your heart. You are a new creation. You are his beloved in Christ, alive in Christ. And my hope is that all of us, together, we can really encourage one another to become what we were made to be. The body of Christ. The light and hope for this world. And the glory of God's creation. Let's pray. Lord God, we're just in awe of what you have invited us to. A whole new life. God, help us not to be satisfied with just believing certain things. But help us to pursue what we're believing in. And that is you, God. We want this intimate, life-giving relationship that you offer us. Because that, honestly, is what transforms us. Life to life, spirit to spirit. And so, God, I just pray that you help us to understand and know what this means, to lean into it, to desire it, make us hungry, God, to become more like you. Together, God, as your body, as your light, as your hope for this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.